welcome to the Move With Love podcast. I'm your host, Bree Johnson of Heart and Bones Yoga. This podcast is a love letter to yoga teachers. It's season two, and we're doing things a little bit different this season because something I've seen in the yoga world is that the same yoga teachers often get seen the most. And well, that's great. There's a lot of yoga teachers out there that don't get to have their voices heard and yet have so much to say and so many important perspectives. And that's what we're highlighting in season two here, talking to everyday yoga teachers that have very specific niches, very unique approaches to teaching yoga so that it can give you, our beautiful listeners, different ways to get inspired about your own teaching, get more confident to stand up as who you are, even if it's a little bit different from what the mainstream yoga world is. I cannot wait to introduce you to our beautiful guests for this season. Enjoy. Today we are talking trauma-informed yoga. We're talking about how to teach it and not necessarily how to become a trauma-informed teacher, but what does it mean? And how do we inform our classes, even if we're teaching regular everyday classes, you know, the, the 530 spots at the local yoga studio down the street. And you're going to have people in your classes who, well, if we're all human, we've had varying degrees of trauma in our life. And how do we deal with that? And so I am talking today with Jenny McGrath. She's one of our wonderful heart and bones trained teachers. And she's got a lot to say and a lot of experience on trauma informed yoga. And without further ado, let's, let's introduce her and let's hear a little bit about Jenny's experience. So Jenny, hi, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you because again, this is a topic that I think is really important. And mm -hmm. sometimes I find in this world, in the yoga world, trauma-informed sometimes being is its own box over here, like in one spot, rather than recognizing that trauma-informed is something that all teachers need to be informed to varying degrees, right? You don't have right. to call yourself a trauma-informed yoga teacher, but it's helpful to know who's coming to your classes and some of those backgrounds. So start with telling us a little bit about why this is what's interests you and your experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I like to tell people that I am the biggest learner of what I teach. Um, I in no way feel like I have it all figured out. I feel like I learn more consistently and that I, need to be teaching because I need to be learning what I'm teaching. And so I grew up with various forms of trauma and a, a really um, huge disconnection from my body. I remember from the time I was in middle school and high school, I would often ask the question, what does it mean when you're dreaming? And I, I felt often like I was in this out of body experience and I didn't know why I didn't grow up in a culture that had a lot of language for trauma. Um, and I grew up in a really fundamentalist Christian tradition. And so I was taught both explicitly and implicitly a lot of messages, especially as a femme body, that my body was dangerous, uh, it was sinful, it would cause other people to sin. Um, and so 
it kind of just felt like a landmine to be in my body. And so I did what I could to try to escape and avoid being in my body, which caught up with me pretty quickly. Uh, by the time I was 20, I broke into shingles and my immune system shut down and my body just kind of stopped working in the way that I was used to at working. And so it really caused me to pause and to ask why, like what was happening and very, very long story short, I ended up in a master's program for counseling psychology to understand trauma and story. Uh, but I also grew up as a dancer. So I had this weird dichotomy of, I knew the power of dance in sort of this theoretical framework. And I think dance helped me survive in a lot of ways. Um, and so I was always curious about how to incorporate dance into therapy. And unfortunately, in the psychology world, it's sort of been as though people are floating heads and there's a lot of talk about trauma. And so it's been really great to see is just in the last six or seven years, I think the the psychology world is catching up, especially when it comes to trauma, to say talk therapy isn't enough. We have to be engaging our bodies. Um, and so it gave a lot of validation for things that I had experienced personally and that I wanted to start to introduce to patients, to students. And so after I graduated, I did a yoga training and have done various ones. Of course, I did yours, which was amazing. And also some of um, trauma sensitive yoga. And how I am working now is I call myself a, a movement teacher who doesn't teach people how to move. That um, I really see myself as reintroducing my students to their bodies, especially those that have gone through trauma or have grown up in these uh, spaces where they've been told that their body was wrong or bad based on just who they are as people. Um, so that's a long journey <laughs> that has got me to where I am now. Well, that's huge and it's important. And I think what you're saying, especially at the beginning of this, where you're, you were saying, well, I, I, I learned through teaching and I'm my own mm -hmm. student. And I really, I don't know anybody offhand that doesn't learn that way. And, and so FYI teachers or wanting to be teachers listening to this going, I have to have it all figured out before I start teaching. Well, you also figure it out while you teach. Don't start teaching on the day, the day after you start yoga, like, please, there's some time that <laughs> needs to happen in practice as a student. But yeah, so I just want to highlight that because I, I know that's a common thing that many people say. But I would then want to pull out, oh, there's so many great things. I, I find that oh, it's so interesting. But I want to say, I'm pausing a little bit because I'm just thinking which is the best thing. But I think I want to pull out is I love that you say, I'm a movement teacher that, no, you say it again, I'm, I'm going to butcher it. So please. Yeah, I'm a movement teacher that doesn't teach people how to move. <laughs> That's brilliant and important because in the, especially what you're saying, the context of working with people, especially uh, in, in environments where they were told who they are, like who you came into this world mm -hmm. just as has been messaged that you're not good enough. This isn't okay. You got to change. You've got to like that. We all get that in so many different ways, but you're, you're right. There's definitely like in your experience being in the, 
religious upbringing, that's a whole other layer of, because yeah. then spiritually you're not okay. You have to change physically, mentally, emotionally, relationship wise. That's, that does yeah. put a toll. And I, and I find it fascinating in, in a way, I guess, not surprising that young Jenny at 20 shut mm-hmm. down. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I really, I really believe that our bodies know how they need to move. Um, Something that I say often in my classes is before we took our first breath, we moved. Um, While we're in the womb, we're kicking, we're yawning, we're stretching, we're curling. We're doing all of these things that our nervous system innately knows how to do. And I think we're so socially conditioned in the way that education system works or all of these systems to tell us not to move and that create this distrust in our body. And and I really think there are as many ways to move as there are bodies on this planet. And so while I really love, you know, some of the the pillars and the ways of understanding movement, I, I like to live in this paradox of understanding anatomy. I'm a huge nerd with that. And then getting into these classes where we get to throw all of that away and we get to just like put our prefrontal cortex on a shelf and let our body just do what bodies do. And I think my dog is one of my best teachers for what it is to have a body because she's always doing weird things that look uncomfortable just because she likes to. And I'm like, what would it be like if we had more freedom in our bodies? Um, And the more I've kind of unpacked this in my private practice and with my students, you know, I really think it is a part of the oppressive systems that we live in to separate individuals from their body. Because if we don't trust our nervous system, if we don't trust our body, then we kind of have to listen to these these people in charge that tell us what we should or shouldn't do because we're not used to being connected to our intuition or our own discernment. Um, And so I think it's really, for me, it's important on a personal level as well as a social level of um, how do we create bodies individually and community bodies that get to be empowered and free out of these systems that are very oppressive. These are beautiful questions. And have you explored? And I think those are questions that, because I was about to say, what answers have you found? And I'm not sure those are ever going to be 100% answered. And may we always explore these beautiful open-ended questions. But again, in your private practice, in your classes, in your own self, what are some of the things that you found to be helpful or what shows up when we ask those questions and then move in relationship to that? Yeah, definitely. So two of the things that I always incorporate are some of the tenets from trauma-informed yoga and and trauma-sensitive yoga. And so the first one is choice-making. So I always will use invitational language with students or with clients. Um, Do you want to do this when you're ready to do this, if this feels good? And really giving people a practical sense of listening to their body. And usually in the beginning, it it can be a frustrating process for people that say, I don't know what my body wants. (laughs) Um, And so it, it can be this process of just experimenting, just exploring, just trying 
a movement and then feeling, oh no, that didn't feel good. Oh no, this did feel good. And then I also always incorporate interoception, which is essentially just paying attention to what you feel from the inside. Uh, what are the sensations? What are the temperatures? What are the, the things that are going on inside of your body? Um, because we can really think about the past, we can think about the future, but we really only feel our senses here and now. And so I think our body is always inviting us to be more and more present. And so I think in those things, we can start to develop safety in our bodies. Um, and I always add the caveat that I am a white woman. And so for me, I have the privilege of having a lot of spaces where I feel safe. And so I always approach my work with clients or with students, especially students or clients of color or of the LBGTQ community that there's no objective. Like the goal shouldn't be, you should feel safe because sometimes people's nervous system is the wisest thing about them telling them that they're not safe. And so I think it requires us practically engaging, trying to bring safety into the body and also looking at socially and communally, how are we actually creating diversity and inclusion and safety for bodies that don't look like ours, um, that don't experience the world the same way mine does. Um, and that I think is just an ongoing process of, of listening to the bodies that are most impacted by the systems of oppression um, and letting that continually inform and shift and change how I teach, how I work with clients. Yes, all of that. And that's huge. And that's so important in recognizing that not everybody <laughs> will have the same experiences in our classes. Mm-hmm. And, and I say that and it seems obvious, right? And then like, yeah, of course, we're all different. We all have different backgrounds, but there's a deeper impact when you really start to unpack, as you're saying, that, right, we do live in systems of oppression and some people yeah. are going to have even more potential disconnect, potential trauma, and how do we hold that space? Especially my exact, as a, as a fellow, as a fellow white. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. It's big. And how does that show up? So, you know, you offer, as you're saying, you're offering this space, you're offering these questions and these inquiries for yourself ultimately, right? Cause mm-hmm. what I'm hearing is how do I hold space for all of this? Mm-hmm. as an individual who doesn't have all the answers, who won't have all the answers, who can't have all the answers, who will probably mess up and inadvertently cause harm in some form or another. Raise my hand. I'm sure this has happened over the years as a teacher many yeah. times because we're human and we're always learning. So you're asking these really beautiful questions. And then as you bring this inquiry for yourself, how does that show up in the classes? Do you Have you noticed especially as you continue to dive deeper, right? So um, Mm -hmm. you've taught this way for a while, but it always evolves and we get more refined and better at it. And so as you've (laughs) refined it, how have you seen your classes change? And people's, not just how you're teaching, but how do people be in those classes when you create this space? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know anyone else that really 
teaches what I teach. And I tell my students it's very odd. Um, but for me, what I've learned and how it's influenced what I teach is it's become less and less and less prescriptive. Um, and so I tell students, you know, I consider it a success if you fall asleep in class. I consider it a success if you get up and like run around because you need to. Um, and so I really see myself as a holder of space. And so I always begin my classes with a check-in um, and ask the question, how are you arriving in your body today? And just hearing how each student is coming in is that constant reminder of we are all in different bodies going through different things. So we're going to need different different things. Um, and so I kind of just move however my body wants to do. I'm usually doing really odd things. It's not often meaningful or like I'm not trying to exercise. Um, I see my classes more in maybe conjunction with people that also want to do a yoga class or a Pilates class or a spin class that that mine is less about achieving strength or mobility. It's just really about connecting to self. And then I usually create an invitation at the end of class or towards the end of class if students want to begin to allow their movements to connect to and mirror each other. So I'm not the one directing this is what we're doing. It becomes this really organic process of our bodies usually doing pretty simple movements um, and just swaying together or jumping together or doing something where we're creating what we call limbic resonance, which is another way that our bodies learn how to feel safe. Um, when our movements are mirroring someone else's movements, it inhibits the part of our brain that has a sense of self. So we actually really do feel connected and held by a community. Um, and, and this is something that I learned from um, about four years of living in, um, in northern Uganda. And it was just something that the Acholi people and a lot of indigenous people everywhere know is that when we go through hardships, when we go through difficult things, we have to move together. And I think that one of the many problems with white supremacy is that it has removed traditional dancing. Um, and with capitalism, we've commodified movement. And so there's not really a lot of spaces where we just get to use movement as connection. And so I really see myself more as a holder of that space. And then the bodies in that space get to do whatever they need to do. And then we'll always end with just a check out <laughs> and just with the question, what did you notice? And it can be, I noticed I hated that and I never want to do it again. It could be, I noticed I felt so connected to myself and there's no right, there's no wrong. It's really about just having an authentic experience and letting that be okay. Letting the body feel whatever the body needs to feel. That's so powerful. Mm, you make so many amazing points. And even just envisioning that class gives me a sense of ease, right? Because it is that permissive. And it is so interesting that yoga's blown up over the last 25 years or so in the West. And 
Because probably on some level, we are looking for like group classes, group mm-hmm. movement, but you're, you bang on white supremacy, capitalism, the commodification of it, of this very innate experience of, I just want to move and connect. And you're even making me think of group singing as well. We don't uh-huh. like those things, movement singing where, where we can just get into that space. So anyways, I get very excited and passionate about that. So yes. Jenny, I love, love, love it. <laughs> And how do you find people, like, do you find over time in the classes, they're like, okay, I can get used to this. Cause I'm sure there's people that might come in and might not really know. And then they're, they're like, what, what is that? I thought I was supposed to be told what to do. You're not guiding every movement and moment of this. What? I have, what? So I yes. could see that there would be a disruptive kind of disconnect there. How does that, how do you navigate that? Absolutely. Yeah, it it is a challenge. Um, And I think it's hardest for people who maybe have a lot of yoga experience or dance experience where we become really used to kind of just turning off in a class and just following what the teacher tells us. And so there, there can be a lot of angst of like, what am I paying you for if you're not telling me what to do? Um, and, and, you know, I love like honest, honest feedback when students say like, you know, for the first months I hated this, but I felt like for some reason I needed to stay with it. And then there always is that moment of, I just felt more free in my body today, or I just felt really connected to you all today. And it's, it's pretty rare. There's a class that doesn't end with tears of someone getting to put language to why is this so rare in life? (laughs) You know, why don't we do this more? This is something that our bodies need. Um, And so it really is almost this deconstructing of movement and of what we've learned about movement and then relearning what it's like to find movement from the inside out in ways that we give ourselves permission to look silly, to look funny, to look sexy, to look all of the different ways in which bodies can move. But if we've heard these messages of you're not supposed to move that way, um, it, it, it is, it's definitely, a, it's, I don't know if learning curve is the right word, but there is this process of staying in that disruption and that messiness. Um, but you know, as I've been doing these classes for a couple of years now, it's the same people continuing to come back because there's a recognition of the value in it, or occasionally someone won't come for a while and they'll come back and just say, life got crazy. And I missed this so much and I need it. Um, that, you know, as teachers, we all have our self doubts. I have that myself of like, what am I doing? Am I doing anything? And then to continue to have that um, reiterated to me from students of what they're getting um, has just allowed me to grow in the confidence of something that does feel really odd, um, but also somehow has a lot of power in it. Well, it is a beautiful opportunity and reminder to trust, trust the practice, trust yourself Mm. as a teacher and, and trust those bigger paradigm disruptions that what I'm hearing you are thinking about and talking about, and not every teacher is going to go into yoga and be like, I'm going to challenge (laughs) white supremacy. And like, may we all actually, may that be one of the, but, you know, but being clear on your why being clear on, well, 
I know for myself, and I'm talking in your voice as an example, here, so <laughs> I know for myself, you know, having grown up in this religious background that told me every, like, who I am is not good enough. Who I am is everything that you had already described. You know that then offering spaces and classes for that freedom and that inquiry does lead people back to that disruption of those early programs. And in a way, and the how is important, but knowing the why, like the, to me, I, like that's how I like to interpret it because the why is that little path. And then the how will change. And then maybe you do it this way, this class and slightly different the next class. And it's it, everybody is learning together in that sense. And I think that is that beautiful disruptive paradigm from this commodification. And you have to follow this TM way of moving and this pose should only ever be like this. And this yeah. is, so I think what I'm hearing in a lot of ways, because as we talked about at the beginning, this is your approach is trauma informed, but I also hear this as big picture trauma informed. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. there, there's an interesting, I, I like this. I like this Jenny of, of we need a micro trauma informed, like, okay, we've had this past or these types of traumas. This is how we can work with them. But I'm also hearing you going in this bigger picture We've lived in a world, our family of origins, our culture, our conditioning have created trauma. And that trauma in a big picture sense is, oh, the message, I'm not good enough as I Uh am. And your way, your beautiful way of teaching this is saying, hey, hi, (laughs) your body's got wisdom. Let's try this. Let's let's show up. Let's explore. And I think that is inherently trauma-informed and so beautiful, Jenny. And I think... I can hear people, I can hear all of you listening. I can hear people going, well, cool, this makes sense. What does that look like? And I guess you can't really, you've described it very well. So we don't need you to go into detail because you've already done that. But what would you say, because I'm thinking about tangibles here, what would you say for people who'd still teach again that like I teach on Tuesday night, 5.30 at yoga studio down the street and it's a drop-in class and we have different people all the time and some people want the vinyasa, some people, and it's really hard and I can't please everybody. And now I'm hearing this, I'm inspired by what Jenny's saying. And But how do I teach this <laughs> is maybe what I'm hearing some of us thinking. So Jenny, how would somebody bring those big macro perspectives about acceptance, love, intuition? How would they bring that into that kind of context of teaching? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, for me, it really was, I think, the perfect timing of going through teacher training with you and you continuing that, what is your why? Like that, because I kept trying myself to fit into like, I don't love teaching vinyasa, but I'm supposed to, right? And like, I've come this far, so this is what I'm supposed to do. And continually coming back to, you know, for me, my why is wanting individuals and communities to have more freedom. And so for me, I had to begin that in the practice where the practice had to have more freedom. Cause I think if we're not practicing what we want, it's not going to come to fruition. And so it was that in conjunction while I was going through the training, I was introduced for the first time to um, Resma Menikim's work. Um, and he has an amazing book called my grandmother's hands where he addresses um, racialized trauma for white bodies and for black bodies. And 
he has some really helpful, amazing somatic exercises in there that began to articulate, you know, something that has been said for a long time, but helped me click, you know, white supremacy harms white bodies too. It's not for anybody. And so how do we begin to cultivate these somatic practices of freedom? And so for me, I think in any class, even if you're teaching a more traditional class, if you can incorporate and these two principles from trauma-sensitive yoga, which is choice-making, and even if that's in the beginning of your class to say, you know, I'm going to be going through this series of, of movements, do them or don't do them. If your practice is just laying on your mat today, awesome. That means you're listening to your body and giving that sense of, of choice, or, you know, we're going to do downward dog or do whatever you want. And just weaving in this invitational choice-making language, as well as, you know, because choice making can be hard if we're not connected to our bodies, weaving in the language of interoception. So continually trying to bring students back to what's happening in your breath right now. If your breath is like really short and shallow, maybe pause, maybe take some time to rest, like starting to listen to and validate those cues that are happening um, and really helping students kind of train that muscle. You know, I say just like our, our sense of smell, or our sense of sight, these are things we can grow and develop. We can develop our sense of interoception and what we're feeling on the inside. And I think that's a really powerful practice. Um, and so I would say in, in whatever type of class you're teaching, you can always start to weave in this invitational choice-making language and then this really interoceptive language of paying attention on purpose to what's going on inside. Ooh, paying attention on purpose, which really ultimately, right, may that be our practice in all the ways, paying attention to ourselves, our emotions, and we get to play with that through the movement. And then that gets amplified, as you've been saying, through invitational movement, through exploratory movement, through permissive movement, permissive meaning give ourselves permission to do something different. And right. Yeah, that's huge and so simple. And then I think for any teachers feeling overwhelmed, you know, I, I know we, we hear things and then we get inspired and we go, oh, yes. And now I'm going to do it this way. And then it's so big to change. I think what you those two simple things aren't so big. And even for the new teacher, I'm such a, I refine myself now as I'm saying this, I'm such a teaching of teachers where I'm like, here's your tips, how to, <laughs> so <laughs> teachers listening, you know, go into your classes going, hey, I'm only going to try and like, I'm not going to change every cue into invitational if I've never done that before. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give myself the freedom and permission yeah. <laughs> to try a little bit of changes in our teacher training. We call it 10% changes, right? So you can make change, you know, we want to evolve and grow, but you don't have to, I hate using this, but throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like mm -hmm. a little bit of invitational teaching, yes. a little bit of interoceptive <laughs> teaching. And so anyway, there's, there's my little teach, should you choose this? Cause there's my invitation to you and, yeah. and listening to everything that Jenny's saying, oh my goodness. Well, Jenny, this, let's not overwhelm anybody anymore because overwhelm in the best possible <laughs> way. Cause I feel like we could just dive deeper and deeper into this, but I think you so beautifully explained 
your story, your experience that pulled you here, and then your continued, so that shifted your focus, and then it's now pulled you into this direction that you've been on for a while. And it, and I love seeing how it continues to grow and evolve and will continue. And so I think it's such an honor to hear these stories and for you to share that both your story and then the tactile, tangible, real life cues as a teacher. So if speaking of teaching, if people want to find you or work with you, so both in private practice and in your classes, I know you've moved things online, of course, because welcome Mm -hmm. to the world we're in. So (laughs) how can people find you and in what ways can they work with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the one of the easiest ways to keep update is probably on Instagram. Um, And my handle is indwell underscore movement. Um, And then I have my counseling website is indwellcounseling.com. And I actually recently just did an online course called Embodied Story that really addresses all of what we've talked about in a much deeper way. Um, There's a lot of educational videos and movement exercises that help people grow in their awareness of their own individual embodied story and how that fits into these larger collective narratives. Um, And that course is at indwellmovement.com. Beautiful, beautiful. And all of these will be in the show notes as well and links to that. So yay, I just love it. I hope everybody goes out and follows and finds Jenny and also ultimately goes and finds their own permissive ways of teaching and exploring and practicing and continuing to have the foundation of good, healthy movement knowledge, but then from there have that freedom to trust ourselves, trust our body. I'm just simply summarizing everything that you've been sharing with us, Jenny, and I think it's so important. So any last things that you'd like to share with our community here Oh man. Yeah. I'm just, I'm really grateful for this community and for the ways in which we get to, and and the ways in which you encourage freedom and play. Cause I don't think I would be doing what I was doing if it weren't for your training and the ways in which you again, encourage the finding your why. Um, and yeah, I think it's important to know, like this has been a over a decade process for me. And so just to reiterate, this isn't like go do these classes tomorrow. (laughs) This is like, it's been a journey and a process. And so I just, I I wish everyone the best and more freedom on their own journey that hopefully will look different than what I do. Um, Because I think that's ultimately a lot more fun when we get to have classes and experiences and teachers that look like them and that we don't all look like this homogeneous thing. (laughs) So... Yes. (laughs) Enthusiastic. Yes, please. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. So on that note, again, Jenny, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your experience and hooray. Wasn't that so lovely listening to Jenny's experience? I find it so important to uplift and highlight everyday people. We don't necessarily always need to hear the big famous yoga people that we hear everywhere, but hearing everyday people, teachers who are there doing it in real life. And so I'm so honored that our Heart and Bones Yoga Teacher community is so full of 
beautifully curious, playful, diverse, beautiful humans. And I'm very grateful for you to share and listen to this. And if you'd love to be part of our teacher's community, we'd love to have you. You can join our modern yoga teacher training course. It is for teachers who are looking for a 200 hour or looking for their 300 hour or also for people who are ready for just straight up continuing education for their own personal development. And this course is 100% online and as which makes it more accessible and is surprisingly intimate because we get to have monthly live calls as a community. We have individual smaller mentorship groups so you can really get to know your course participants and the growth and learning that everybody has in this course is amazing. Now I could go on and on and on around this course because it's amazing. We've run it for four years. We have over 250 people, um, not registered, but certified through us. And again, we'd love to have you. So I'm going to stop talking about it so that you can go and visit heartandbonesyoga.com, read all about it, read all the testimonials from our past graduates. Let me know if you ever have any questions. Thank you for listening to me for this long. At the end of this podcast, have a fabulous rest of your day.